Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. You know what I mean by that? It is so easy to get kind of like hung up on the truth statements about him that we kind of forget he was a real guy with real feelings and desires and turn-ons and turn-offs and things that made him tick and stuff that rubbed him the wrong way and stuff that he liked to do, things that emotionally affected him and things that just kind of set him off the deep end. You know, you know, and everything in between, he was like you. He was like me. He was a person. And I want you to know Jesus. But it's really hard to know someone when all you know is things about them, as opposed to knowing them personally. And where we're going these four weeks together is just kind of imagining how do the Gospels really kind of portray the man personally? And how can getting to know him personally in that kind of way help us to get to know him personally? Are you kind of with me on this? All right. You know, um, growing up, we knew a variety of people that, that kept diaries. You know, actually, I think I was informed by the Brady Bunch on this one. You remember it was like a pivotal episode where, where like, they, they found like Marsha's diary. She thought she lost it. It was like at the used book sale. I know way too much about this. Um, <laughs> just as an incredible aside, I don't know if you realize this, but like the Hallmark Channel has started like re-airing the Bradys in syndication. Five episodes a day, back to back, two and a half hours straight of Brady lore, and my kids love it. <laughs> I have never been more proud as a father. But I remember it kind of like got kicked into this thing where it was just like to find someone's personal diary. There is no greater joy in this world, is there not, than like finding your sister's diary. And then, like, of course, reading it. And then finding out that she knows that you found it. And then reading it all the more because of it. And then, of course, Facebooking it on top of it, right? I mean, you've been there. You know what I'm talking about? So, you know, I thought in the spirit of like, actually reading a diary or a journal, um, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a gospel account together. We're going to go to one of the stories that we have here together. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles out. And uh, let's kind of just, like, pretend like we're hiding in the dark and Jesus doesn't know it, and we're actually going to read what actually happened. Go to John 15, would you? Go to John 15, and uh, it's just this incredible, this incredible passage. It's dense, there's lots of stuff in here, and it is easy to miss because, well, it sounds like a Bible. Here's what it says. Follow with me. I'm going to do 17 verses here. Okay, here's what Jesus says, and I'm going to flash it up there too. I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Read verse 5 aloud with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus continues to push it. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now Jesus turns gears a little bit. We're moving on from the metaphor, and he starts to get a little deeper and a little more straightforward, and this is what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. You know what the hard thing about reading that entry is? It's long and there's a lot in it, and you forget what you read two verses ago by the time you got two verses ahead, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this a little bit. And what I really want to get across to you today is what's deep in the heart of Jesus. See, if you want to know someone, I think at some level, you want to know what is it that they really desire inside? I mean, what is it that this person really wants and what moves them and makes them shake? And, 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 and how does that spell out? Well, I think John 15 is this just incredible insight into what is it that Jesus actually wants as a person deep inside? Now, the whole thing is built around this metaphor that you're reading up here. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is he talking about? Well, he's setting up this image, this metaphor, if you will, and it's all based into something that they knew in their day very well, just simply called the vineyard, all right? Everything is relating around this concept of a vineyard. So you got to kind of get some of this vineyard stuff going on before you can really start unpacking how this would have spoken to people in Jesus' day. So let's do it. All right, here's a vineyard, all right? This is a Middle Eastern vineyard. They are all over the place. They like their wine, all right? And so you can see the, the, the grapes that are growing down the side of this hill and they're coming out. Here's a little bit better picture. And what you can see is you have these lush green plants, right? And you can see that the kind of the way it's raised, you have these, these big stalks, these trunks, or these branches coming up out of the ground, and kind of in relation to them are these vines. Are you with me? All right. Going on. Here's a camel in your vineyard. That has nothing to do with anything. It was just cool. All right. Now, if you look at this picture, you could kind of see how the branch or the trunk, which is rooted into the ground, supports the vines that are coming up out of it. 
And if properly tended and properly cultivated and everything works the way it's supposed to do, you get this, right? And if you get this, then you get weird dudes like this who are delighted because there is grapes in the vineyard. All right? So far, so good. Now, I don't know if you guys get these, but I get these dumb things all over my house. I mean, we have like this, this wild grape explosion that happens every single year. And I've learned something. You let these things go untended. And I mean, they just, I mean, it's like a virus. I mean, these things spread. You, you go to bed and you wake up and it's like, well, we lost the back 40 today. I mean, it's, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, it, for those of you who have faced the vineyard, uh, the, the grapevine battle, the wild grapevine battle, let's just do it. Who here has them? All right, drive through Bull Valley sometime and you're going to see every single tree is like strangled by these things. They take over everything. If they are connected, they thrive. Now, I, uh, I decided a few years back to go, to go to town on these things. We were not going to lose the battle on our property. I shouldn't have made that decision. We went in a whole summer tearing these things down, fighting them, pulling them, and they wrap around everything. They break down your branch. I mean, they're nightmarish. Until I learned a very simple secret. All right? There's a weird guy. Take a look at that one. That doesn't look too good, right? You can look at that, well, that, and you can go and look at this. You know how you can get that in the day? Simply snip it at the branch. I learned a long time ago that if you just cut it at the base, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet of vine overnight, they literally wither in 48 hours. They dry up, you pull them down. They become worthless. They make the best bonfires. Because you roll them and you scroll them. And you, I mean, it, I, we, we had this one summer where we were loading them into the, the, the wheelbarrow that we have hooked up to our riding lawnmower. And I had to get my son Ben to sit on top. It was like this eight-foot mound just to keep him from hanging over the side, jumping them in. We had this fire barrel like filled to the point that it was over my head. I mean, I swear, like planes were going to start landing. Satellites were taking pictures. It was, it was insane because these things make the best fire. And it strikes me as so odd that this thing that thrives, I mean, thrives beyond anything I've seen in all of human creation, with a simple snip, goes from life to death. Now, what does Jesus say? I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you dry up in the wind. You make a good bonfire. It's striking to me how Jesus describes it. What he's saying is the source of your life and your vitality is found in a connection to me. And Jesus says that apart from a connection to me, you end up like this, withered, dried, fruitless, dead. And I think about Jesus sitting there with his disciples, 
kind of sharing with them this idea, and I wonder if they got it. You know, I read through the Gospels, and you know what I realize? We who call ourselves disciples of Jesus and, and, and the 12 back then, we never really get it. Jesus says these things, and it's like, yeah, Jesus. And you kind of walk away going, what on earth did that mean? Uh, you know, 10 bucks says they were sitting there listening to this, and they're like, he's talking about like vines. Do you know what he's talking about? No, do you? Okay, just smile. Just smile and nod. You, you, you know? But it strikes me that this is what Jesus chose to share with his disciples. The very last conversation he had with them. See, the context of John 15 takes place at the Lord's Supper. And I don't just mean like some Sunday they're doing communion or something. I mean, I'm talking that Passover meal, the night he was going to be betrayed. Uh, this past week or about uh, a week and a half ago, we were gathered here. And we did this thing on Monday, Thursday called the Upper Room. And we gathered and we broke bread together and we, we drank wine together and we worshiped together and prayed and talked. And we, we had this sense of community that went beyond just a communion ritual if you will. You know what I mean, those of you who have been there? And uh, this was what it was like for Jesus at John 15. In fact, John records like five chapters where he's talking to them and impressing things on them. He's laughing with them. He's, he's struggling with them. He's sharing his heart. And I got a question. What would your final words be if you're on your deathbed? You're going away for a trip for a year. And it's the last time that you're gathered with your closest friends, maybe your family. What do you share with them? It's kind of in those times, isn't it, that you often share the things that are the most personal and the most meaningful. Like, this is what I really want you to know because time is short. And this is what I want you to know this is what I want you to remember. This is what Jesus is doing at John 15. And this is what Jesus desires. Is it vine and branches and wine and, and stuff like this? No, it's an image. What does Jesus want? Boils down to this. He wants you. What Jesus desires is you. And what I don't mean by that is that it's not that he wants you to know things about him. It's not that he wants you to just remember him. It's not that he just wants you to believe in him. No, the word he uses is remain. Abide, maybe as some of your translations will put it. He wants you to be connected to him. Jesus doesn't just want your faith. He doesn't want you to just believe in him. He wants you to be interconnected with him in a relationship with him. Way too many people are too quick to leave their connection to Jesus at just believing in him when all the while Jesus is saying, no, I want more than your belief. I want you. I want a relationship with you, a deep and personal connection with you that goes on, that remains. Think of those people in your life that you're most connected with. Is it enough to simply say, yeah, I can tell you 12 facts about them and know that they exist? Is that what brings you joy in your soul or is it something deeper? Is it a relationship with them, spending time with them, getting to know them daily, talking with them and laughing with them, 
being filled just by being in their presence. Have you had a person like that in your life whose very presence seems to fill your soul? See, I don't know if you realize it, but that's what you do for him. What does he dream about and want? What fills his soul is a relationship with you. And I think what Jesus' diary might reveal, if we were to look at the pages and go, what really gets this guy inside? What is it that he yearns for? What we would find is it goes beyond this thing that we call faith or belief or worship to something deeper and something more personal. Something like a, a vine feeding and nourishing and growing from an ever-living connection to something that's feeding it. Are you starting to get the idea of what that means when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches? And I think if you look at it this way, it starts to open up worlds in John 15. It starts to explain all kinds of interesting things. Because what Jesus starts to do is he starts to set up, if you're looking, this idea or this image that Jesus' relationship to the Father becomes the paradigm for his relationship with you. That Jesus wants you to be connected to him just like he's connected to his Father in heaven. What does he say? I, 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 am, I am the true vine, right? And my Father is the gardener. As he nourishes me, and as my life depends on connection to him, so your life depends on connection to Jesus. Does it make sense? Are you following? And he starts to say all kinds of crazy things like, and that's why I call you friends. He says, a servant doesn't know his master's business, but you know mine. Because I shared with you my heart. I shared with you my soul. I call you my friend. Man, it is so easy to just kind of like take that statement and go, yeah, cool. You, you know what I mean? But think about it. Think about the fact that the God of the universe looks at you and says, will you be my friend? Hey, you want to hang out on Saturday? You know, we're, we're gaming. Come on over. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? God thinks of you and treats you as an equal. Despite the fact that you're not. He says, what, what I desire is you. You are my friend. Do you know that in all of the Old Testament, only two people are only called friends of God? Abraham and Moses. Okay, I mean, we're, we're talking like spiritual studs here, right? I mean, like, like who here goes, yeah, that, that Moses guy, man, you know, he's cool, but I got him beat, right? I mean, Abraham, man, him and God were tight, but, but you know, like, you don't think that way, do you? But see, what John does when, when, he, when he tries to recount what it was like to get into the mind and the heart of Jesus is he constantly has this thing that theologians will call the, the replacement motif, the, the, the ratcheting up, the upping the ante, that something is found in Jesus that is so much greater than all the stuff that is talked about in the old. Oh, we've seen this with Jesus, right? We, we see him do things going like, yeah, I'm greater than the temple. Destroy it in three days and I'll rebuild it. 
You see him doing things like with the Sabbath and the holy days and the entire Jewish feast system. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're supposed to rest on it, but you know, the one who is greater than the Sabbath is here. You see Jesus do this all over the place. And now he seems to come in and do it here as well. I want you to look at something. Turn with me to Psalm 80, would you? Turn with me to Psalm 80. Because Jesus' worldview is rooted back into to his relationship with the Father, which means it's rooted in, in, in the Father's diary to him, the Old Testament, if you will. Just take a look at Psalm 80, and I want to show you something that's going on here. 80, 80, 80, Psalm 80, 79, 80, 81, go in the middle. All right. Uh, it says, for the director of music, to the tune of the Lilies of the Covenant. Just sounds like a lame song, doesn't it? Of Asaph, a psalm. He says, Hear us, shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph, it's another word for Israel, like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherub and the angels. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, the tribes of Israel. Awaken your might. Come and save us. You sing a lot of Israel imagery here, right? He says, restore us, O God. Make your face shine us that we may be saved. Which seems to indicate to me that it's not quite happening. Because why would you ask for it? How long, Lord Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. In other words, God, this is not what it's supposed to be. Going on. He says in verse 7, Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered in its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoot as far as the river. Do you get the image that's going on? Who's the vine? Who's the vine in Psalm 80. Don't, say, don't you dare say Jesus. Don't you dare. I'll throw this chair at you. It's Israel. Right? You transplanted a vine from Egypt. Where was Israel? They were in Egypt. They were stuck there. But you rooted them up and you carried them out. That's the Exodus, right? And you took it. And you drove out the nations of Canaan, Right? And you planted it in a good land of milk and honey. You cleared the ground. It took root. It filled the land. It spread like those stupid Bull Valley vines that are all over my house. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars, it just zoomed right up. It took over. It thrived. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoot as far as the river. That is not a metaphor, I swear. And so they say, why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Why aren't you taking care of it, God? Why is it left to its own devices? Boars from the forest ravage it and wild animals feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. It's this amazing lament of the people of Israel identifying themselves as a vine, saying, Lord, Save me. Lord, watch over me. Lord, connect me. And then you have Jesus come along and say, I am the vine. What is he saying? 
Something greater than Israel is here. Something greater than anything you can imagine is here. I am the vine. Just as Jesus reinterpreted the Passover that night in himself, he reinterpreted vines in himself too. I am the vine. And just as your exodus comes in me, your vineyard and your fruit will come in me as well. And it's why he can say, I call you friends. Back then, Abraham, Moses. Do you know what God says to you? They ain't got nothing on you with their connection to God. You got them beat. Back then, too. But he looks at you and says, you're my friend. I want you as my friend. That's what you mean to me. And that is what Jesus desires. A connection with you. Living and growing and nourishing and thriving. It starts to explain all other kinds of things, Jesus says. That's why it makes my joy complete. What brings him joy? You. It's why you can ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. And you're like, really? I've tried. All right, don't push it too far. You know what it is? All right, who here's got kids? What are you more likely to give something to, your kid or your neighbor's kid? Yeah, neighbor's kid, right? Maybe sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> your kid comes and asks you for something. And let's make it big, all right? You're probably a lot more likely. Don't make it formulaic. It's revealing God's heart to you. This is how I think of you, as someone who is connected and important to me. And what that means is that fundamentally, what we do here and what this is all about is a relationship with Jesus knowing him and him knowing us. That is what God wants for each of you. And it's what he invites you into. It's an interesting thing to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But I think where it gets hard is sometimes knowing how to take that first step into connecting to a vine. Because see, for some of us here in this room today, we know a lot about him. And sometimes we know so much about him that we've ceased to know him. And I think what Jesus invites those of us into today is to say, what does it mean to shift from just believing and understanding things about me to doing life with me? To treating me like the friend that I think of you as talk with me, to find intimacy with me, to be connected with me and spend time with me. That's what we do with our friends, isn't it? And what does it look like to take your relationship with Jesus from faith to connectivity? And maybe for others of us in this room, there's this sense of going, I don't really even know who he is. But can I just ask, do you remember those times in your life when you first met that someone who you knew nothing about, but there was something about them that you drew you to them. 
I got to know that person. I want to be around that person. And if you find yourself in that place today, what it simply means is just stepping on in and letting it grow. You might not know all there is to know about Jesus. You might not know all the facts or believe all the right things. I'm here to tell you it's okay. Because it simply begins by saying, I just want to get to know you. And talking to him. And spending time with him. And learning more about what makes him tick. It's my prayer for you guys today. It's really my prayer for just us as a life and as a church. That we wouldn't sacrifice connectivity to Jesus. Under the mirage of belief. So may you thrive, grow, know him, love him, desire him. Because he loves you. Guys, let's, uh, let's just rise now. And uh, I'd just like to pray with you, okay? Lord, uh, maybe I shouldn't even address you that way today. It's true. But to call you Lord implies that we are servants. And you redefined the relationship. You said, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. So, Jesus, we're just going to simply say friend. Jesus. You desire us. God, if we allow ourselves to, to come face to face, it's staggering to the imagination. Lord, I, I pray that for each of us, we continue to grow in you, to grow and to thrive, to derive life and nourishment and energy vitality our life being God is, is inseparable from you connected to you God it's like the craziest of vines disconnected we wither and die and you come and you say be a part of me Lord we want that relationship and maybe for some we want to begin it today begin it today whether we've believed in you in the past or not so we love you we want to see you we miss you we want to know all there is to know about you we want to do what pleases you we want to tell people about you God, it's a relationship with you. It's, it's just, it's exciting. And maybe, God, where we've become disconnected and we've withered. Thanks that you take us back in. Thanks that you, 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 you tend to us and you nurture us and you reconnect us again. So, Lord, friend, be with us today. We want to be with you. 
Amen. On the night that Jesus talked about vines and branches, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he redefined it. And he said, take and eat. This is no longer Passover bread. This is my body. It's given for you. My body is what nourishes you. And he took a cup and he gave thanks and he gave to them and he said, no longer is this just simple Passover wine. This is my blood. Because it's in my blood that a covenant is established. It is in my blood that you have exodus and freedom. It is in my blood that a vine has been uprooted from Egypt and planted and nourished by God. So do this in remembrance of me. Jesus wants to eat with you. Welcome.